filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster So I have a story that's not RFK related. Why? Because, well, it's weird and awkward, and I, I think you guys would appreciate it. Um, a, a colleague of mine at my day job um, found out about put it into her podcatcher queue, um, not ever actually intending to listen on, listen to it, just if it happens to be there. Uh, and I guess a while ago at some point while I was off work for parental leave, uh, her boyfriend had, had gone, had left town for a, a business trip or something. So she was home alone and she fell asleep listening to a podcast, not our podcast, a different podcast in the middle of the night. She woke up knowing that her boyfriend was gone, but hearing a familiar male voice. And she freaked the <laughs> F out. And it was because her podcatcher had moved on and autoplayed an episode of Filibuster. And she heard my voice talking at her and and got real scared and a little angry at me. And so she told me about that when I got back to work. You're, you're a creeper. I'm a creeper. I'm a podcast creeper. Um, not a Virginia creeper like you, Ben. I'm just a DC podcast creeper. That's just that's just a plant and a train. See, I, I I knew it was a plant, and I just wanted to call you a Virginia creeper. It's also a train. I learned that tonight from you mm-hmm. a few seconds ago. Yeah, that's my not RFK story. We're going to talk a lot about RFK stories tonight, second week in a row. I think it's worth it. I think it's deserved. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's everything. It is the only thing. Yeah. As Jason's uh, exploding brain meme likes to say, RFK is the only good soccer stadium. No, I didn't qualify it with soccer. Uh, That's true. <laughs> uh, I think literally all stadiums everywhere are worse, including ones that no longer exist from uh, antiquity as well. Screw you, Rome. Oh, yeah. I was going to say the Coliseum, too. Uh, trash. <laughs> I mean, it probably was. Uh, there have been there have been times when uh, RFK did remind me of the Coliseum, mostly the the deluge against Houston that caused the game to get rained out. I, I might have said this before. The Coliseum, uh, there's a, a legend that it could be filled with water for naval battles. Yeah, no, there that's were, not a legend. That's real. There were tunnels, massive, extensive tunnels under the Coliseum. Uh, yes, that I know. Also, this. would have been filled and also who would be able to watch it if it's filled up with water there's people where are they going to sit to watch the naval battle i mean the the stands start like 20 30 50 feet above are these very the low draft Coliseum. ships because those won't make for a very good naval battle yes they're low draft ships guys guys 
Anyway, it was a trash stadium. <laughs> They're mini triremes, trireming against each other. Anyway, the that <laughs> legend t- with whether it has a basis in fact or not. That uh, trash stadium. About that trash stadium. I was reminded of that anytime I think of the the 2008 deluge against Houston. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast of stadium shaming and celebration and sadness and bittersweetness and what have you. I'm Adam Taylor. They're Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. Tonight, we are talking about RFK Stadium. We are talking last call at RFK Stadium. We are talking uh, your stories about RFK Stadium. Uh, We got some emails in. We're going to read through some of those. Uh, We are also going to talk at least a little bit about the game that happened on Sunday, which it's weird to say a game between DC United and the Metros is a secondary concern, but it really, really was. You mean the Legends game? The Legends game, I actually... I don't mean the Legends game, but we that that Wait, probably merits more talking about than the, the, there was the another game against game? the Red Bulls. Yeah, there was. Are you there sure? was. Yes, Paul Ariola scored his first MLS goal. That was oh, cool. that's right. Yeah, and it ended after forty-five minutes. That's my recollection as well. Yeah. Yes. All right. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that game, all ninety minutes of it. Um, if we have some time, no. we, we'll we'll get into the the playoffs, which start on Wednesday night. So. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we get that far. Um, we, we have tonight as you listen to this. Yeah. Uh, we, we have kind of a limited time window this evening, so we're going to, uh, move right into the show before we can do that though. We do have to ask Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, I have, uh, I think I had it a few weeks ago. I have another bottle of, um, uh, Chimay Grand Reserve, um, it's not as much of a toast to RFK as you might think. Uh, it's I felt like a beer, and this is the only beer I had in the house. Just <laughs> an exceedingly fancy beer. So uh, exceedingly fancy beer is what it is. All right. I've got uh, bullet bourbon neat. Uh, rather hefty pour of it, which is probably not super responsible, but I'm owning my decision and my pour tonight. So, Ben, what are you drinking? So right before the, uh, we started recording, I took a shot of the most disgusting thing in my current larder uh, as as an atonement for this entire season. So I took a, a shot of straight triple sec because that's the grossest thing I have. And now I'm drinking uh, a margarita to continue that vibe, but also drink an actual human drink. I... Have comments, but I am unable to form the requisite words to express those comments or questions. I don't. I I have incomplete thoughts about that series of beverages. Okay, and so we're just going to move on and talk about RFK. The, I guess you could say, in in a very real sense, the first era of DC United is over. There have been many smaller eras, but the the first twenty two year. The first epoch. Epoch of DC United, wherein they played at Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Stadium, is over um, officially. And there was a, obviously a big send-off on Sunday. Uh, hashtag last call at RFK. There was uh, 
an extended tailgate. There was the Legends game. There was uh, the the actual game, and then the ceremony afterward, and the milling about and mingling afterward that uh, went on as long as anyone could could make it. Uh, Jason, you were there. I know you uh, you wrote a really um, beautiful goodbye to the stadium, saying it. You know, you waited to the last possible second to write it. You published it on Sunday morning. It was a great piece. If any of our listeners haven't read it, go do so. Um, make sure you have some tissues and are in a safe space where you can express emotions because you will feel them. Jason, what were your thoughts on on Sunday? Just overall. Uh. It's interesting because I, I kept myself busy, I guess. Um, being there as media, I had some things to do. Um, we had some stuff to plan out. Uh, we had uh, our spirit writer, Caitlin Buckley, is also a photographer. So um, we had to plan some stuff as far as what shots uh, she was going to get. Um, I mean, we're, Caitlin, is, Caitlin is a youth and thus uh, doesn't necessarily even recognize some of the guys from the Legends game. So Steven Streff and I were going over what players she needed to pay special attention to. Um, and then after that, uh, she and I went into the stadium for a while just to um, look at different angles and uh, look for some spots that might that she might not have picked up on uh, from you know, the, the history of it, basically, you know, spots where uh, there might be some historical significance that otherwise wouldn't have come through just from having gone to games for a few years in her case. Um, I got a, I had a moment where I got to go up to the upper deck while no one else was up there. Um, well, there was some CSC folks up there, but that's it. Um, it was pretty cool. I hadn't been up there in for, forever. I had uh, uh, not quite remembered the, uh, the the um the grade of the upper deck is is significantly steeper than mm-hmm. uh the lower bowl um but i just got I, I had a few moments where i was just by myself standing up there uh getting the look out over the whole thing um which was which was really nice because it was uh once things got going it became even though it wasn't just a regular game day when you're down in it it still is kind of a game day i mean you're still standing with fans you're still uh it was a crowded game. So I'm, you know, I'm not the tallest person in the world. I was craning my neck to see around the people in front of me so I could see the game itself. Um, trying to talk with some friends. One of my friends, uh, from college flew, uh, from California. He flew out, arrived Saturday morning, uh, hung out with somebody else, came to the game and was on the, on a plane six thirty five Monday morning, uh, to go back home. Um, so it was, it was that kind of day that was, uh, you know, catching up with people, but also um, people were still were focused on the game. It wasn't ju- when the game was going on. It was about the game, yeah. um, which was interesting to see. I didn't know how much people were going to dial in, um, whether you'd have people wandering around looking at this and that rather than you know, they were paying for admission to RFK for, you know, that's what I thought might happen. But I think a lot of people really were just uh they wanted to see one more game and they actually, you know, made sure that the game was important to them. Um, I got to see some other, some pretty cool moments. Um, uh, during the legends game, uh, I was right, right down in with the, uh, the screaming Eagles right in the front row. Basically. Um, I got to see John Harks come over and, uh, ask for a drink and, uh, he was given, uh, a lemonade 
And he he thought he was I think he was under the impression he was just getting ice water and was surprised to find that it was lemonade, whereas everyone else in the crowd assumed it was the vodka lemonade you can get. <laughs> um, because Harks gave a very dramatic uh, reaction to it, which was a uh, pretty nice. Uh, a few of the uh, you know the players reacted uh, pretty well to, um, you know some of the some of the old timers yelling stuff that reminded them of their time. You know, uh, people giving uh, Eskandarian you know yelling uh, about whether he needed an energy drink or not. Um, Naturally. Uh, Jesse Bell, who works for the team, was also the center referee for uh, mm-hmm. the game, and people were giving him a hard time um, talking about how they were going to change ticket reps and all this other stuff. Um, one of the the linesmen on the near side was a ticket rep, um, and so there there was a, a lot of that going on. It was actually that was extremely fun. Uh, the Legends game, given that the whole season has been kind of brutal and sad, um, having this one moment where it was just it was purely fun. It was pure entertainment. Um, seeing Ben Olsen, uh, when he got flagged for offside and offside several times, um, yeah. uh, once he, he did a dramatic wouldn't like, do it. Arm, <laughs> arm wave thing. Um, and then on the last one, right near the end of the game, he got caught. He was basically in behind everybody, uh, but he got called offside and he caught, he jumped up and caught the ball and then just threw it. Uh, and he actually threw it, pretty fast and he was on a rope yeah he threw it into the upper corner and i still feel they should have just counted the goal yeah he um, afterward he threw his hands up uh to as if to celebrate notice that the crowd wasn't really cheering and goaded them on and they yes. cheered he, he continued celebrating from there as if he had actually scored it was right it was good fun uh the the thing i'm going to remember from the the legends game was in the second half watching Dero decide that he really, really wanted to to get a goal in this game, and he had three pretty good opportunities. And Louis Creighton decided he really didn't want Dero to score, and had three really good saves on Dero. Um, he ended up, you know, keeping Dero off the score sheet as a result. Right. Um, <laughs> but like yeah. as the game went on, Dero was really the only one really, really hunting for a goal. He really wanted to be there. I think he wanted after he saw. Uh, Luciano Emilio do his goal celebration a couple of times. Right. The the lightning god pose. Um, Dero wanted to do his yeah. his trademark shake and bake celebration, right. and I wanted to see it too. I I, yeah. I actually wore my Dero jersey from 2012 mm-hmm. um, to oh, I to miss the game. And uh, I miss a lot of these guys. Actually, I actually ran into Dero and Chris Rolfe and Robbie Russell and Freddie Adu in the concourse. Um, during the the real during the Red Bulls game and um Dero saw I was wearing his shirt and he's like let me sign that for you and he just pulls a sharpie out of his pocket and (laughs) signs the back of my shirt that's amazing (laughs) perfect that's perfect Dero it is and uh it reminds me of something that um one of the commenters on Black and Red United Brent Donica says uh a lot we're we're living in a a real sweet spot of history when it comes to MLS right now, where the players, even the best ones, and this is less and less the case are, are making real human person salaries um, that are numbers that people can actually comprehend, not bazillions of dollars, like the best players in the world in European leagues or in other big sports in the U S and as a result of that, the players are accessible in a way that they aren't always. 
um, when they walk through the concourse as a big group, even a bunch of retired players, um, they'll, they'll just stop and talk to you for a minute. Um, and you, you know, you'll see them out and they won't be swamped or recognized by everyone, but people who really follow them will, will see them. And I don't know if it's fitting that, that, that seems to be starting to change, uh, and it's going to change I at the same Anthony. time as RFK stadium is, is coming to its end. I also blame but, Anthony Precourt. <laughs> I I don't know how we can blame Anthony Precourt for this, but I accept it. I accept that he is to blame. Uh, it's, you know, as soccer and MLS get bigger, players will get paid more. They'll be less accessible. They'll be less um, kind of of us and more of the elite, highly paid athletes that, you know, that, that other big sports are. And... So they're going to lose some of that small D democracy, uh, potentially. Adam, you're you're reminding me of something. This is um, Stephen Streff told me this after the game. I didn't see it myself. Um, But uh, Lewis Creighton, who uh, for our fans that that, that weren't around at the time, he was goalkeeper for like a year and a half on the team, um, 2008, 2009. And won a trophy. Uh, He did win a trophy, was part of the Open Cup winning team. Super exuberant um, and kind of eccentric. In every um, way, including his yeah. play. He was very much uh, a sweeper-keeper. And and so during during the Legends game, he, he at one point tried to come up to uh, be allowed to take a penalty kick um, that was awarded to his team. Um, he And he was at midfield at one point, like directing traffic, uh, mm-hmm. despite still being in goal. Um, but apparently after the game, one of the... CSC staffers that works the media entrance happened to comment on his uh, jacket. He had a suit jacket uh, or a blazer of some kind. I didn't see this part. Um, but Steven said that the guy commented on it. He said, hey, that's a nice jacket, man. And Lewis Creighton gave his jacket away. Uh, he, he he was like, here, take it, man. It's it's yours. That's awesome. Um, like Creighton at the, uh, at the open training session was having a ball um, – he wandered out like during the training session, he wandered out onto the grass, uh, maybe, maybe a little too close to the training session. Um, at one point <laughs> he, he just was sitting on the bench. Uh, he jumped into an interview with Jaime Moreno. Um, but yeah, it's that, that, that connection was still there. And even, even for the guys that, uh, you might think might have had a reason to disconnect a little bit, guys like, uh, like John Harks, for example. Um, and you could see like, even though Parks hasn't been a player at DC United in forever, and he's had different things, he's had media duties, he's been a coach, he's been all this other stuff. Um, the recognition, you know, him, he recognized people in the stands still from, you know, the early, I mean, the, the late 90s uh, is when the last time he would have seen them on a regular basis, and he still recognized them immediately, um, which is which is really cool. And it's not a thing that every team can say. Um, not every team has kept those guys as close um, or as connected. Um, I I heard a lot of people ask that they, they were asking, you know, Mike Chabala came back and Mike Chabala only played a handful of games for DC United. And the question kept going around. I was like, why did, why is he so like, he seemed really excited to be there and everything He's like, why does this matter to him so much? Um, but on the other hand, maybe for a guy like him that played for several MLS clubs, maybe this was the only place where he felt that sort of, that's something special uh, that not all these other teams have that, 
you know, in some cases, it's not necessarily their fault. Part of DC United's historic roots and and this uh, level of importance uh, at looking back on history is the fact that the history is good. Um, yeah, and you I wouldn't mean, have. You know, there's only there, there's only ten years of Houston Dynamo history where he spent most of his career, and DC United is the most historic club in the entire league. So right. Even I don't, even I, don't, I, don't blame, I don't blame anybody who played for DC United uh, for being excited about coming back for this game. Yeah. I mean, even the West coast teams that technically have roots in the seventies, they, you know, they, they had hiatuses. Those were different uh, leagues, bullshit. different. Right. I mean, I, 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 I take at face value that some of those fans do feel connected to that history but it it's not as immediate as the 22 years of, of DC United. And it's a difference when it's not continuous. Yeah, exactly. Um, when it gets broken up, I mean, the Sounders were at one point just an indoor team. Um, and I don't, I don't take away from any Sounders fans. Um, for those that were there for all of it, you know, of course that, that they're going to have that too. Um, but for the, for the teams that are just MLS teams, um, you know, there's a reason why the Metro stars aren't having, or the Red Bulls aren't having a Metro stars legends day. Um, and it's not just because they're short on legends because they were bad for so long. Hmm. Um, it's, you know, they, they didn't establish the, the same roots. Their fans did um, in a lot of ways that are very similar in that uh, regard, but the connection with players isn't there because they were constantly throwing guys out because they're like, all right, this didn't work. Let's not find some new guys. And the next year it was find some new guys again. Um, and even when they found big name players, they didn't work. Um, and so it, it is kind of a lucky thing. It's it it's the combination of honest hard work at building those relationships from the fans, from players, from uh, the people that have run the team over the years. And but it is also uh, it's a special thing that you can't necessarily recreate because even if even if everyone tried their best uh, to build those relationships, if the team was bad. Uh, for the first 10 years, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't have tradition on the back of the jersey. You wouldn't have uh, a day like that where um, so many people were willing to turn out. I mean, uh, they they asked on short notice, they asked five players from the old diplomats uh, to come out and be a part of it, and they were all up for it. And these guys are like in their 60s. Um, and they were still even on the it. field for the, for the Legends game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, George Wilner was playing at right back for the mm-hmm. uh, black team from the start of the game. Um, it, so it was, it was all that part was really cool. Um, you know the the vibe in the stadium where you know it RFK was packed, um, and as everyone will tell you, uh, when RFK is packed, there's a few places that can that can compare. Um, and you know there were forty forty one thousand, I think, was the announced attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, I know down where I sit, uh, or I guess I have to say sat now, um, and by that I mean stood, uh, it was jammed. I mean, we were uh, packed in uh, as tight as can be. Um, I got, in all the years I've been going to games, I've been hit with many beers uh, when goals have been scored. I have never been hit by a fuller beer or more directly than <laughs> how I was hit when Paul Ariola <laughs> scored his goal. It hit me, it was like a three-quarters full beer, and it hit me, like, in the back of the head. And it wasn't, like, 
the cup the cup was in the right position where it wasn't heavy weight hitting me. It was just the beer was spilling out as it landed on my head. Right. Um, I was drenched uh, with, with that beer, and it was like, you know, it kind of makes sense that the last goal that you're going to get to see at the stadium is the one where you get hit the most uh, directly it's a, it was basically like someone dumped an entire full beer on the top of my head. Nice. Yeah. So I actually, I'm going to cop to something here. I actually missed that goal. My Anne Louise and I were talking about the drum circle at, at one point and Magnolia said, I want to see the drum circle. Mm-hmm. And so we sit on the quiet side. Um, my daughter is three and wanted to see the drum circle. And I wanted to see the drum circle for the last time at RFK. It's been a while since I I was over there and in it. Um, And so we left our seats a little bit early to go across the stadium and get behind section 135 and get a spot on the ramp over where the drum circle is so that I could put her on the railing and, and watch it from above. And, and that's what we did. And we were the, just barely uh, got a spot because the ramp filled up with a bunch of other people wanting to see the drum circle without um, being mm. right in it. And that was one of the bigger mosh pits I I can recall. Because oh, yeah. everyone wanted to be in it. Like I, I recorded video on my phone and I was right in the, the center, uh, directly over um, the drummers. And mm. I would pan to either side and you couldn't really see the end of it. Right. Which was which was pretty cool. It was it it was a cool thing, and I my daughter got to see a drum circle at RFK, yeah. which is awesome. really cool, and she got to see the last one at that. So I was, you know, I I don't like missing goals. This was, you know, in in my head as I as we worked up to it, I I kind of made peace with the the notion that this wasn't as much as I kind of wanted Sunday to be um, a return to what I remember um, kind of my bachelor days at RFK um, where I would, you know, hang out with the supporters and stay after the game as long as I could in the Mm. stadium. And then in lot eight until I had to leave. Uh, I knew that wasn't going to be the case because I have two small children and, and other responsibilities. So it it actually was a little bit of a, it, it, it wasn't the nostalgic experience. It was, very much a, a real the the fact that things are changing was palpable in my experience at RFK because it was a different experience than what my nostalgia um, would would allow me to think of. So it was it was interesting, but I'm glad I got to see the drum circle. Um, glad I got to wander around with my son strapped to my chest and then ergo baby uh during the legends game and to just walk around the stadium and take it in and watch the legends game um before the stadium got too full so i still got to to do a lot of things and and soak it in just in a slightly different way than than uh my memory right. recalls it's 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 funny i i a couple of my friends um they brought their kids and were up in uh um they were one section over from me. So I, at halftime I went to go say hi and they had already gone to go get drinks or go to the bathroom or what have you. Um, so I decided, I, I figured, you know, all right, they've got to be out in the tunnel nearby. Right. Because why would they go off, you know, to the other side of the stadium? There's no point. So I figured if I just walked through real quick, I might see them in line or something like that. 
and I tried to go out and the drum circle had just filled up the, the tunnel so much that it was like, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to be able to get out there and come back uh, in 15 minutes. Like it's going to take too long to even get through that. Um, so I circled back and I actually got to uh, hang out with my friend's daughter. who She's five. Um, and we got to have a brief discussion about how having beer in your hair isn't ideal um, because more people were throwing beer at that point. And uh, um, so we, bo- I was like, yeah, I, I half time I used it. I went to the bathroom. I used the, the sink and I tried to get some of it out of my hair. And she's like, I'm going to have to do that now, um, which was pretty great. Um, it was it was a uh, I mean, the game didn't go as it should have. Um, unfortunately, the realities of the 2017 season had to rear their head one more time. Um, but, you know, some of the best times I had at RFK were during the bad seasons that they've had. Um, I mean, I, I remember some at some point during the 2003 season, which they made the playoffs that year, but that team was unwatchable. Um, despite having, like, Echeverry was still playing, Risto Stoichkov was on that team, um, Bobby Combi, Santino Coranta, they were all there, and it was still an unwatchable team, to give you an idea of how rough 2003 was. But I remember being in at some, like, horrific loss in like August where they started the game at one o'clock for TV reasons. So it's just brutal August weather in the sun, watching a team that I know is bad play bad soccer uh, and lose. And I was like, I'm going to keep coming uh, through this. Like I'm, I'm going to endure this and I'm going to come back like the next time they have a game. Um, so it, it's just, it, it was, it was interesting to watch the, the, the fact that people were still not necessarily they, basically they weren't going to let the game ruin their, their good time. Um, which I think was important on a day like this because uh, it wasn't about, I mean, as much as I told myself coming in that they absolutely had to win the game uh, and send the stadium off. Right. Um, in a lot of ways, it, it the result didn't really matter because you don't necessarily keep coming back for wins um, maybe some fans do, but I doubt that they are listening to a podcast about the team, uh, after a season in which they won barely any game. So I assume that at that point you've given up uh, and moved on. Um, you, you're coming back for the people that are there, the, that, that are, uh, that are there every week that you see sitting near you. Um, you know, the, the players recognize those, those same faces too. It, it's kind of, a it's a special vibe uh, at RFK that that maybe fosters that a little more than you see at other places. Um, maybe it's just, you know, I don't have any day-to-day knowledge of going to games at other places. Um, maybe that's part of it, too, is that I could be assuming something of RFK that is impossible in another stadium or that is possible at another stadium. Um, but it just it seemed to me like part of what made RFK special is the people that have been coming there all the time. Um, as much as I love the building and the history in the building, uh, those people are part of that history too. Um, and you know, seeing people that I've been seeing at games since 1996, I mean, Adam, you, you tweeted a picture of Salvatore, mm-hmm. um, uh, who was coming to games for a while and then had to pass it on to, uh, Salvatore jr. Uh, the duty of carrying the large drum uh, and trying to get the quiet side, uh, riled up. Um, 
and so seeing seeing a photo of him, I, I wasn't on the quiet side, so I didn't see him, but seeing that he was there was pretty awesome. Um, and yeah, then I also, saw him, and he actually hasn't been there for for a few years now. And I just yeah. yelled Salvatore, and he stopped and turned around. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I have to get a picture. Yeah, uh, I mean, he is a, a bona fide RFK legend. Um, he is. I mean, and, and you know, it was also kind of fun was that he, even with on a day where it was all about the past and all about the history involved, um, there were still the random RFK oddities. Uh, there was someone that was dressed as a combination of uh, whatever the character from Nightmare Before Christmas and Pagliacci the clown. Um, someone was dressed in that combination of things in the bar and had a drum, and I couldn't make. Any, I had no idea what was going on there. Um, I assume it was like a Halloween kind of deal, even though we're still like a week from Halloween today and it's two days later. Um, but yeah, uh, something like that happening at RFK. RFK's had its more than its fair share of oddities and um, bizarre choices of fans, um, bizarre happenings that are beyond any fan control. And it was just one more thing where it was like, of course, there's some completely random costume that that doesn't that isn't team colors it doesn't make any sense at all um it makes perfect sense for rfk to have one more weird thing happen um so yeah even though they i mean under any other circumstances losing the red bulls i would be just sour for days but uh you know i i'm sad that the stadium is gone but i'm i'm glad that you know on the field it maybe wasn't set off correctly but off the field in the stands i think it was I think that's absolutely right. Ben, you had something you wanted to share before we get into uh, our listeners' RFK memories. Yeah, it's it's a slight downer, not related to DC United or RFK at all, but uh, a slight downer before we get back to the positive. All of this just brings up to me and reminds me how awful it is about what's happening to the crew, another 1996 original team who deserves to have this kind of history for themselves as well. And just what Anthony Precourt is doing to them is awful and should be continued to be protested like we all are doing. So yeah. Hashtag save the crew. Check it yes. out. Yeah, exactly. Save the, save the crew.com. Yeah. Keep talking, keep getting on social media, keep yelling. Um, Cause I, uh, from what we understand, the, the league did not expect this kind of reaction. Teams have like the the San Jose Earthquakes moved to Houston in the past. Um, granted, everyone kind of knew they were going to get a team again, just like when the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore. It didn't make it hurt less for the fans in San Jose, and I know this because the guy who took me to my first DC United game was a San Jose fan uh, from San Jose who watched that team uproot, and, and I know he, I know it hurt him. And I, I know all all the fans in Columbus are are hurting right now, and um, the way that Precourt has gone about it has been so shady and so bad. Um, and every bit of news that comes out makes it look worse and worse. So save the crew, yep. whatever that looks like. Save the crew. And I, we'll go back to RFK now. Um, 
on and, happier stories. End this segment on a happier note. We have we have a few emails from from you listeners to get through. The first one is from Connor Newman, who uh, I think was a first time season ticket holder member, whatever. This year, he he writes into us. Uh, I got to kick out the ceremonial first kick this year against NYCFC. He he petitioned to do it again this Sunday because the team was one and zero against quote New York teams uh, when he had the honor to kick it out, kick out the first ball in ignoring the small sample size. I think he he had a point and maybe it would have gone better, but uh, I forget who kicked out the the first kick. Oh, I remember it was RFK uh, Bobby Kennedy's family who mm-hmm. got to kick out the first kick, um, and and Kathleen. Uh, Kennedy Fitzgerald. I forget. Shoot. I, I'm terrible. And I forget what her married last name is. His oldest daughter, Kathleen had, um, really wonderful things to say about DC United and how they honor her father's legacy. And I am maybe the biggest Bobby Kennedy fanboy you're going to meet. So, so seeing those two things, um, pulled together was pretty cool. I thought, uh, the next email comes from, uh, Ted the Ted Meyer down your way, Ben in Richmond, uh, yeah. RVI who, who who wrote us uh, a long enough email that he felt bad about it and contributed <laughs> to our Patreon account so that we would have to read it on the show, uh, and that is what he told me. So uh, Ted, thank you for contributing. Uh, we appreciate it, and we were probably going to read this anyway. But don't stop your Patreon uh, donations because we appreciate that a lot. Uh, Ted writes, my favorite memory, which none of you mentioned, uh, was the 2004 Eastern Conference Final. And that's that's fair. He was in middle school. Uh, he says, making us feel old is his revenge. And he honestly thought he wouldn't be there. It was a schoolwork night, and he had just moved to a new town. His dad was never going to go. Fortunately, there was a friend in school who cared about soccer, and their parents offered to take the uh, a group of them up. Ted remembers getting tickets in the north end of the stands, which was a thing back then, um, before the Nats came back. Uh, he was disappointed with that because his dad and him had always sat in the center of the field. They got there uh, late, which had him nervous during every cheer he heard from outside the stadium that he was missing something. However, it was like United were waiting for him to get in because as he walked into his seat, Aleko Eskandarian got the ball in space and ripped a shot into the back of the net. And from that moment on, he didn't move from his seat. He says, I don't think I need to go into detail. The whole match is on YouTube. Uh, and in fact, I think early on in the history of filibuster, we uh, watched this and recorded an episode while watching it and not doing play by play. That was me. That was Adam, not Ted. Uh, he says the atmosphere was electric. The entire match was even better. The whole game showcased the beauty of RFK. It was last time RFK looked like classic RFK before the baseball team removed the very section he sat in. He says, I will miss RFK. I'll miss the tailgates, the memories, the friends I met. You'll probably see me shedding a tear on Sunday. Or you probably saw him shedding a tear on Sunday. Um, I mean, yeah. Jason, I think you you have said that that is the greatest game of soccer MLS has seen. The 2004 yeah, final. I mean, I did, I did note last year the uh, Montreal TFC uh, second leg was a competitor. It was the first time I saw a game that I thought was a competitor. Um, other people had brought other games up. Um, the Galaxy and San Jose had a, um, 
um, a wild, the San Jose had a wild comeback against the Galaxy, but um, to my mind, a game in which a team scores four goals unanswered is not actually that great because it's it was all in that 90 minutes, San Jose just scored a bunch of goals and that was it. That doesn't make it a good game um, because in that, that individual game, it was just watching one team clobber the other one. Um, yeah, that game was uh, was something else. Um, I, I distinctly remember uh, I used to take off running um, after DC would score a goal. I sat on the aisle at the time, and so I didn't know what else to do. So I would just run up and down the steps and end up, you know, 10, 15 steps away from my seat uh, during the everyone's joy after a goal. And in that for that game, for whatever reason, I was stuck a, a couple seats in. So I couldn't get out and run. And one of my friends was sitting in a a section above me and he ran down. Um, (laughs) And every time he was anticipating, he would just come across me and he ended up having to run all the way to me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, what am I going to shove these people out of the way? Um, Which he had done to, to have that conversation. Um, But yeah, uh, after that season ended, it's good that Ted pointed out that that was the final game with the, uh, the original configuration because I remember being at the trophy ceremony after the season was over um, and taking, making sure to take some photos that I, I know I've got somewhere, but I haven't been able to find them just a few photos to, to remember what it was going to be. Cause I knew that so, I didn't know what was going to change. I just knew that something was going to change. Um, and little did I know it would be that when events DC or at the time they weren't even called events DC, but when they tried to remove uh, the seats that slid out, which the whole, the whole reason lower bowl is like that is for that to happen. Um, But they hadn't been removed in so long that the process of removing them broke the seats and they had to be destroyed. Um, So thanks nationals. Um, But yeah, I knew that, that it was, it was the last game where we'd get, the, the stadium as as it was for most of or for all of my youth um, as it was for the World Cup as it was for the 97 MLS Cup final all that stuff um, so yeah the, the 2004 Eastern Conference final I think that game has come up more than any other when I've I've heard from uh, people talking about their memories I think it's edged out the um, the Houston games uh, in the rain and and or power outages Um yeah, that was that game was uh, pretty spectacular, and it is still live on YouTube. You can you can go uh, find it. Um, I believe I'll I think find it's on it. Kick TV. Yeah, I've, I've got it in my um, my uh, YouTube favorite, so uh, I'll I'll put it in the comments when we do our our post. I'll put it in the comments there so people can see it if they want to. It's I mean you're gonna need two hours to watch the whole game, but uh, uh, if you need do something it. to do, it's pretty fun. No, it doesn't matter. Just you you must watch it. Obey. We have we have one more email. This one's pretty long. Um, it's from Ian. He says, you asked for RFK memories. Despite massive attempts to figure out a way around it that don't involve a time machine, my younger daughter's birthday party is the day of the game, so he wasn't able to get back to D.C. He says, I'll be silently crying as they blow out <laughs> the birthday candles. I left D.C. a long time ago, but the three seasons I spent going to RFK during the club's glory days were foundational to my sense of soccerdom. Jason nailed it perfectly last episode that anything can happen sense of skating on the edge of anarchy combined with 25,000 loud supporters and a great team. If that doesn't make you a supporter for life, nothing will. There's a friendly against Argentina in 2000, I think, that was about 50-50 split between the fans who knew there were so many Argentines in D.C. 
The US won one to nothing on a Joe Maxmore goal off a of Claudio Reyna back heel. I was in the upper deck, and what I remember most is how immediate it seemed, even though it was at the opposite end of the field. I think people underestimate how much difference a stadium built for 50-whatever-thousand it is versus 80,000 makes. I saw a game in CenturyLink this summer, and it will take. I will take late 90s, early 2000s RFK every time. I have these random mental video clips of a rookie Ben Olsen tearing up and down the wing, of John Harks on the ball, and someone in the crowd yelling out, John, be a hero, referencing a MasterCard ad that featured him. Uh, of going to a Galaxy game right after Diaz Arce was traded and all the Salvadorans in the stadium cheering for L.A. Of being exactly in line with Roy Lasseter when he scored off a bicycle kick. I don't remember any Metro Stars games, probably because in those days they just weren't competitive and the rivalry existed only as a tack onto the city's inferiority complex vis-a-vis New York. But I do remember Columbus Crew games because back then they were the rival in the East. So I hope on the next show you'll spare a thought for them. We're losing a stadium, but they are losing a team best in um so yeah we i think we're on the same page basically throughout his email um we'll end the segment now um come back and talk about the the red bulls game the actual game on the field because there there are some things to talk about the team will continue exist next year for dc united anyway um so i'll just say hashtag save the crew and we will be right back. This is filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious. You are. In a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast unfortunately uh dc united weren't able to close out rfk with a win the red bulls um exacting some measure of revenge for dc united's win in the final match between the two teams at the meadowlands they beat united two to one this sunday to close down rfk and claim the atlantic cup um lucho acosta hit a great ball to Paul Areola late in the first half for Areola's first ever MLS goal. But uh, Michael Murillo and Mohamed Keita, Keita uh, played a two-man two game to absolutely slice DC United's defense open uh, for the equalizer. And Alex Muil crossed to Gonzalo Verón on the winner. Muil was actually um, 
a really central character in this game. Um, he uh, obviously got the assist on the winner. He uh, was the recipient of a, a little kickout from Lucho Acosta that got uh, Acosta red carded, and he threw an arm into Nick DeLeon's face that bloodied him up, earning him a yellow and not a red, um, which, okay, sure, whatever, Dave Gantar. Um, I, yeah, I don't know where I want to start with the game itself. I'm still hung up on RFK a little bit. Um, I guess we'll go good. And the, and the goal. All right, let's start with that goal. Paul Ariola absolutely finding the right spot, uh, on the weak side as the ball moves up the left. He, he pulled in, found a lot of space at the back post, uh, knowing that the, that New York back line is gappy as hell. And then, Great finish. Uh, didn't try to put too much power on it. Just put it past Luis Robles. Yeah, and it started with a great uh, pass by Russell Knaus and another, and also a great dummy by Zoltan Stieber to allow Luciano Costa to get on the ball. And then from there, it was a nice break by the team, and Lucho put in a pitch-perfect cross to... Uh, to Paul Areola. And even when Areola had the ball, I was still worried that Robles was going to make the save because as much as we dislike Robles, he's a pretty good MLS keeper. And those are the kind of saves he can make. And I was worried in the instant that he was going to make that save. And he made a similar save much later on in the game. So good on Paul Areola for finding the perfect spot to put the ball Good on especially uh, Jeeper and Lucho for making it all happen as well, and for DC United being able to break on the counter and score a goal in ten seconds or less, basically. Yeah, it, I think it was one of the best goals they scored from front to back all season. Um, yeah, the Canals picking up kind of is kind of a ball that had popped loose after a challenge. I think from, uh, I think Marcelo had put in the challenge and it got the ball loose. Um, Canals took a positive first touch, picked his head up, realized what was on and played the right pass at the right time. Um, Zoltan uh, with the dummy, maybe he got a glancing touch to it. It was never quite clear to me from even with replays, it wasn't quite clear. Um, but either way, his presence uh, misdirected the Red Bulls defense just enough. Um, and all of a sudden, it, uh, United went from having one possession like 30 yards from their own goal to a three on three at the other end. Um, Patrick Mullins made a early in this. Uh, if you watch the video uh, early in the movement, not that Mullins ever gets a touch on the ball, but he makes a hard five yard run in the middle of it that draws both center backs in on him. Um, and all of a sudden he ends up occupying two thirds of the guys they have back there to, to deal with this movement up the field. Um, uh, Lucho's ball to uh, Ariola was right where it needed to be. Um, I will say that on the goal, I think Robles maybe showed uh he wasn't quite as quick to get where he needed to be. If he was a step further over, he makes the save um, and he should have been a step further over. It's not that he was left with a superhuman task. It was that he didn't move his feet quickly enough to get over there. Um, Ariola did, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing volleying the ball out of midair when you've had to run 60 yards to get to the spot to do it. Um, 
And just keeping it on frame at that point, keeping it on frame and not hitting it straight into the goalkeeper is the job. And uh, um, it was a pretty impressive goal um, all around. Uh, all those guys really deserve some credit. Um, and it's kind of, on one hand, it's like, oh, this is a sign of what the team can do in the future. On the other hand, it's a sign of, like, why haven't we seen this on a more regular basis this season? Um, so it has its positive side and its, its frustrating side. Yeah, and I think one of the answers, there there are myriad answers to that question. One of them is Russell Knauss wasn't on this team. And, yep. and Marcelo is capable of hitting that pass every now and again. Um Jared Jeffrey can maybe hit that pass every now and again. Who? Rob Vincent can hit that pass, but he hasn't been on the field since the second game of the year uh, because of his, his unfortunate injuries. So Russell Knauss coming in, he, you know, I don't, he, I, he's I, changed I this team. I, I disagree. I don't think, I don't think Jeffrey can hit that pass with any, with anything like the regularity. No, not with any regularity. From time to time, he can hit a pass like that. But no, Russell well, Canals I mean, has but, consistently shown that he can hit a pass like that. That's what I'm, I what mean. I'm, no, I think that's a, that's a more extraordinary pass, and I don't think Jeffrey can ever hit that kind of pass. And okay. All right, that's I, I, fine. I, that 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 actually bolsters my point. You're disagreeing yeah. with me to agree with me. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being pedantic because I think you're overrating Jeffrey. I think he's not that good. Okay. Either way, Russell Knauss is the important part of this conversation, yes. and he he came in and he he can hit those passes and he can win the ball before he he hits that pass. And I think it's worth noting that both of the the Metro's goals in this game came after he was removed from the game and Ian Harks went in. Ian Harks yeah. is a a really good player with a lot of upside. I think who is going to continue to get better, but he he. It's not a number six. He doesn't no, play right. the game the same way as Knaus. He doesn't take up the same positions. He doesn't have the same instincts. And and I think that that showed when, he when also it came. Doesn't have, even though they're the same age, he doesn't have the experience Knaus Yeah, that's does. true. He, he um, went through Wake Forest, whereas Knaus right. went to Germany. <laughs> right. Um, and it, it, that sub forced United back into a lineup that was similar to the ones that we saw in the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a reason United decided to go after canals that why, while also being linked with various uh, extremely expensive uh, older players, um, they needed to address that midfield. It wasn't up to the job um, and having to remove him from the game. Uh, it looked like he took a knee to the hip um, in a collision. Uh, he tried to run it off, but it, it obviously was a situation where it, it either wasn't he wasn't something to be run off or it was a situation where they were like, look, what are we going to gain by having uh canals try and fight through it in this game where, you know, it's not going to change anything for us. Like we might as well protect the guy from a, yeah. an injury, a real injury. Yeah. Um, Losing the Atlantic way. cup is this year right. is nowhere near as bad as not being good enough next year. Right. Um, but either way it did make a, it was a stark uh, situation um, where it underlines how important Knauss is, um, how, uh, and I've said this before, I think of all the deadline day signings that were made, not just by DC, but around the league, I don't know that there's going to be one that's more important in 2018 than Russell Knauss for DC United. Um, the team so badly needed somebody in that spot. And, uh, we got a glaring example of the difference between having him and not having him. 
uh, in this game. I think that's absolutely right. Um, one of our readers on Black and Red United put up a poll shortly after deadline day. I think a couple weeks later after we got a glimpse of of Areola and Stieber and and Knaus. Um, and, and he said, which one of these guys signed midseason are we going to be crowing about in in a couple of years? And and Stevie is super fun, especially when he shares a brain with Acosta. Um, Ariola is obviously a national team guy who can be contributing to the U.S. men's national team. As much as we don't want to talk about them right now, he could be contributing or starting even for them for a long time, for, for a couple of World Cup cycles uh going forward but as far as dc united's concerned canals it might be the biggest of those the the one that nobody saw coming um and nobody really knew that much about even after it was announced and he just turns out to be revelatory and people are talking about a january call-up for him now uh that's how good and not he's just been us. no not just right. us people from outside dc are saying check out russell canals he should be in january camp and that's that's a testament to to how good and how important yeah. he's been for United. But, but let's let's not forget. Um, I, I've been looking over. Yeah, this is the first during this podcast is the first time I've actually spent time looking into this game because it was all about RFK. Yeah. Um, on Sunday, but uh, Zoltan Stieber had seven key passes in this game, and Holy that cow. doesn't include that doesn't include the dummy slash flick. Um. So he was instrumental on the goal and then had seven key passes. Uh, two of them are from a corner, it looks like, but the rest of them are from open play, um, which means, uh, you know, it looks like regardless of how you feel about uh, the Ariola transfer fee, I think we can say that three the three starters that came in from the transfer window all appear to be good moves. Um, they, they weren't just, well, it's better than what was there. It's, these are guys that are qualified to be on a playoff team next season. Um, now building the rest of the team out, uh, building the defense up, um, dealing with the fact that this team pretty desperately needs, uh, you know, some, someone that's going to be get, get, that can sort of guarantee more than 15 goals, um, there's a lot of work to be done, but in the midfield, at least, um, I think we're, we're, we're seeing a team that's on the right path, uh, in the midfield. It's just that there's more work to be done, uh, strengthening the depth as well as the front, the, the starters in a few positions, but, um, at least it's not the whole team needs to be remodeled this winter because then we would know that we're looking at a whole year and then maybe 2019, they're actually good. Um, Getting blowing a, blowing a team up is very rarely a one year right get, uh, get turnaround. E- even that's even truer today than it was a couple of years ago when right United was able to use the reentry draft to get Sean Franklin and Bobby Boswell and and you know go all in on a defense first identity and and all of a sudden win the East. So I, I think that kind of turnaround is even harder today. Um, Granted, the Chicago Fire managed it. They had a lot of pieces in place and got Dax McCarty and and uh, Nemanja Nikolic. And those Boston are two pieces that and and Bastian Schweinsteiger. They got three pieces that right. turned them from a last place team into a first place team. 
one of them was Bastion Schweinsteiger. So, uh, by the way, uh, if DC United does anything this offseason, if they can sign a Nikolic level striker, um, yeah. that's yes. like 70% of the work. Yeah, if United um, can sign a guy who wins a whole lot if they can, you know, sign a guy who wins the Golden Boot next year, get get Luciano Emilio. Yeah, get Luciano Emilio in his prime. You know that that would be a good signing. Oh, I mean, it, it, you joke, but I mean, it's been so long since DC United has had an actual striker score more more than like thirteen goals in a season. Yeah. So. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't right. even need to be Nikolic level. Just if they scored like but, seventeen or eighteen goals, that right. would be but, transformational for the team. The last big goal scorer DC had was Dwayne Di Rosario. Yeah, and he wasn't even an out and out forward. Right, uh, and that was a while ago. Um, that was twenty eleven. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, and yeah, and, and if you, and, for this game, but and if you, and if you want to go for a actual striker, it's even a couple of years before that. I think it's what Christian Gomez. Well, Gomez, Christian wasn't, Gomez a striker, wasn't a striker. He was a number ten. It was. I mean, Jaime Moreno scored double digit goals in two thousand nine. I think. Right, but um, not. But not. That, that might not, have been the last 50... time we had an out and out striker, and even by then, he was really transitioned. <laughs> like he changed, and it wasn't more even... of a withdrawn. And it guy. wasn't even 15 plus, I don't think, in yeah. 2000. No, I mean, Luciano Emilio. Luciano Emilio in 2008 yeah. uh, or 2007 Seven. Uh, scored 20 goals, won the MVP and the Golden Boot. Yeah. I think that's the last time. So, yeah. Ben, you okay, buddy? Uh, no, I'm, I'm mostly dead, but I'll, I'll survive. Hey, that this means episode. you're partly alive. Exactly. I, I, I have to blame the rest of this episode. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, we got a taste of what it would be like uh, when Mullins came in and couldn't stop scoring in the back half of last season, but we've also gotten a full season where Mullins couldn't, up until the very end, couldn't get, really get it together. But basically um, up until one game. Well, he's, I mean, he scored a goal a few days later, and he looked hey, pretty goal. sharp against the Red Bulls until the red card came along. He, even though he wasn't necessarily getting a lot of chances, um, like I said on the goal, he did – some of the work that um, that, that's the kind of thing a good striker is doing it that Nikolic would do as well. Um, He's not just scoring goals in Chicago. He also occupies defenders in those moments. Right. But Uh, I feel like he also, he also had at least one not super easy goal shot, but he had one shot that a 1 million plus dollar striker would have scored. Most likely. Um, And, and, you know, it just it was a taste. It was a look into um, what it would be like because Mullins last that that back half of last season was playing like that kind of striker. It's just right. that he was playing up to his very ceiling. Um, and we can't trust what if there's any lesson from 2017 is that you cannot trust an entire team of players to all play at their ceiling at the same time very often. Um, it does not happen very much. You get lightning in a bottle and it's great. Uh, but there's a reason why that's a rare thing and you just need more day-to-day consistency. Um, but I mean, that kind of sums up this game because I think DC played fairly well for most of the first half and then they started to turn it on. They got the goal. They started the second half really well. Uh, and then they started to let, you know, around the, maybe the 56th, 57th minute, they let it sort of drift away from them. Um, and I distinctly remember looking at, one of the guys I've been going to games with for years, and and we've he's 
been to most of the games this season, and we both we didn't even have to say anything. We are both sensing the the a couple attacking moves from the Red Bulls before their goal, their first goal. We were both sensing that, like, well, the Red Bulls are starting to get get back into the game, and we know what this means with this team. Um, we know that they're going to somewhere in here. And yes, the goal from the Red Bulls was a, a pretty difficult, high degree of difficulty in terms of the passing to break it open. Um, but DC has this tendency to like they can't put together a good ninety minutes this year, um, and they let this one get out of their grip a little bit, and then all of a sudden they give up a goal. Uh, and then what is it? Two or three minutes later, that Lucho gets himself sent off. Yep. Two minutes. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And much so, right away. Right. And so the game goes from slightly slipping out of your grip, grip to oh we've given up a goal. Oh now we're down a man. Um, and, and then at that five point, minutes the result was all but assured. Well, I mean, five, it wasn't completely. The goal assured, hadn't but, like the the goal hadn't happened yet, but right, the writing I mean, was was starting to team, come into focus. This team this year has shown a knack for uh, doing this, um, and it's it's as much of a you know a lot of the complaints have just been the players aren't good enough, but some of it is just a mentality thing. Um, some of these guys have the ability; it's there. It's just um, can they dial in for ninety minutes? Can they fight through adversity? Can they deal with um, you know Canals get subbed out? Canals got subbed out in the 58th minute. So it's basically right when he was subbed out, when things started to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, can you adapt quickly to a, a bad beat like that and not let the game slip out of your hands? And in 2017, obviously we have 34 games uh, track record to say, no, this group in 2017 could not do that. Um, and in 2018, as much as it's important for them to, you know, for Dave Casper to do big work this off season and go, um, apparently he's already, got South American scouting trips booked um, as much as it's important for him to land a, a striker and probably improve the defense in at least two spots, maybe more. Um, all those things are great, but if the players themselves can't find a way to uh, improve their mentality um, or if Ben Olsen can't find a way to get more out of them mentally, this road trip that they're going to start the season on yeah. is going to basically break them before they even get a chance to get going. They have yeah. to be if if they improve anything this offseason, the mental strength is is, is as important as finding a, a good striker, in my opinion, because um, you can go on the road and get into shootouts and maybe you'll win a few games. But you also lose a bunch um, and you'll be a high scoring bad team um, rather than just a bad team. And it's m- maybe more fun, but it doesn't mean you're going to be in a better, better spot. Right. You you look like NYCFC did their right. inaugural their first, season. Yeah. You just they, the team needs to toughen up. Um, I mean, yes, it hurts to lose Canals in the middle of a game that's going well, but you've got to find a way to. If you can't fight through it, then at least slow the game down and bog it down to the point that no nothing happens for a while, and yeah. then you find your feet again. The, the, um, the team needs almost a twenty fourteen Bobby Boswell, who who could tell when the game was changing and say, "Guys, now is when we lock it down." And, right. and you know, the guy, and he had, he had the personality to be able to do it too. Um, and I, I don't know who on the current roster and who, who carrying over into next year has both the ability to be a starter on this team and the, that kind of personality and gravitas to, to be able to be 
that kind of captain. And I've never been one to really um, put that much stock into the armband. But, you know, after after this season, maybe I'm starting to to change my mind a little bit about that. And, you know, maybe maybe you do need that that field general in a sense. There are a lot of things in this game that that we could take issue with. I think from Ben Olsen, Marcelo starting over Harks, uh, Chris Korb starting on the left as opposed to pushing De Leon out there and putting Chris Aduiachim out on the field to get him some minutes, um, especially given his ridiculous pace and the fact that we haven't seen enough from him and we know what Korb is. Um, And I love Chris Korb, but we know what he is. There there was nothing to gain from him being out there uh, on Sunday. I don't want to talk too much about that. Instead, um, then don't. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm moving on. You're making me pause. Instead, uh, let, let's talk about Bill Hamid a little bit. This is also not a happy thing, but it's not Ben Olsen's fault. It's not anybody's fault. Uh, it, it's exciting for Bill Hamid. He is. Uh, all uh, he he's signed with um I'm going to butcher the pronunciation Michelin in the the Danish Superliga um and he will be he signed a pre-contract anyway he will be joining them as soon as the transfer window over there opens the beginning of January he will not be back with DC United next year um because he is leaving on a free and DC United made him a bona fide offer. They made him a lot more than a bona fide offer. They, they were going to more than double his salary, but he reasonably and honestly, a little predictably said, I want to test myself in Europe. I want to go abroad. I want, I've never lived away from home. I want to do this. I want to experience this. I can't blame him for that. I know DC United as an organization doesn't blame him for that. Ben Olsen, Dave Casper, none of them. They they completely understand where he's coming from and support him, uh, it, at least based on their comments publicly. Um, obviously, I don't know what's happening inside their minds, but they're they're all saying they're really excited for Bill and are rooting for him. And why wouldn't they? Um, Bill's given a lot to this team over the last several years, and even before that, he was in the stands with uh, the supporters groups when he was a kid in the academy and and he was you know he was the first homegrown player he's been the best homegrown player and he's been even the best player on this team and he's he's gonna go try to make it in europe if and when he comes back you know if if after winning the champions league he he decides to to come back to mls because he's leaving on a free transfer dc united keep his keep his rights so he's uh if he comes back, he'll be coming back here, you know, probably. So that's that's all there. Any thoughts, you guys? Ben, you had a big sigh. Yeah, I just who can, I don't care about his rights right now. I'm just uh, he's going to Europe. That's great. Uh, DC United did all they could do. I mean, this is what happens in leagues around the world in both soccer and in other sports, and. Good for him. I hope he does well. I'm still going to follow him. Uh, When a lot of players leave DC United, I unfollow them on Twitter just because I'm not that interested in following their careers after that. But obviously, Bill Hamid, I'm going to continue to follow. I'll keep following him on Twitter and on Instagram and hope and see where he's going. And I want him to 
all the best to happen to him. I want him to uh, be the best goalkeeper in Europe, the best goalkeeper in the world, uh, lead the U.S. to the 2022 World Cup Championship. All of that would be great. Um, yeah, I, I wish the best career for him, and that's all there is to say. Yeah, he said, "Who cares about his rights?" But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't would care. love. I, I would love to, for him to come back on a victory lap at the end of his career, after winning everything there is to win in the world, and coming back and and playing a year at our at, at, at a field. I would Wait, love to that see nothing, that. That has nothing to do with his rights. It does because it makes no, it a lot doesn't. easier for it to happen eventually. No, I I I, I disagree. I, I think Wait, I think, I think that he's going to come back because he loves DC United. I don't think his rights. Yes, but it means that, that you know, whether he, that, that you're, you're arguing a different point. Uh, the the point that Adam is making is that uh, if DC United retains his rights, the pathway for him to decide to come back is there. Whereas otherwise, it would take a bunch of other things falling into place. Right. Um, I mean, no, what, what I'm what I'm saying is I hate all of this MLS. Roster shit. They should just players should just be allowed to go where they want to go. That's fair, but yeah. in the world we live in, it is easier for him to make that decision to come back to DC United because of MLS's. Well, in this particular case, in the circumstances here, be, MLS's rules make it easier for him to come back here than they otherwise would. That was my point. I, I was accepting the reality we live in, not not choosing another one. <laughs> but. You know, five years from now, it might be the case that that's not in place anymore. Yeah, um, that's true. Or at least not in the way it is now. Um, but I, I mean, the, the point I would make about Hamid is that we kind of got a taste a little bit of uh, coming back down to earth a little bit and having a normal MLS goalkeeper because the second goal for the Red Bulls, Steve Clark, you've got to say, took a pretty bad angle to that ball. It's a ball he should be getting to. Um, and he didn't. Um, he made a penalty kick save because that's kind of the, the MO with Steve Clark is that he's made a bunch of big saves in Columbus, but he's also given up some goals that maybe he shouldn't have. Um, and that's kind of our, uh, even if, you know, if United find somebody to compete with Clark and that guy takes the job from him uh, in the preseason next year, we're still going to be ending up with most likely a good, but not elite goalkeeper. Um, and we're going to have to, that's one more thing that the team is going to have to be good about is uh, finding a way to win without needing a superhuman uh, effort in goal. So often um, they have to give up uh, fewer great goal scoring chances, essentially. Um, but I will, I will note um, to bring it full circle back to the whole RFK story of this. Uh, the last person that was out signing autographs and taking photos of fans as the CSC people were slowly closing in and trying to, to um, get people out of the stadium, the last person that was out there was Bill Hamid. Um, he was still uh, taking photos. He was still, you know, the fans that he recognized, he was shaking hands with. Um, of course, he, he recognized Donald Wine right away and was uh, gave him a big hug. Um, but he was out there to the end. Um, and that kind of says, it kind of sums it up, really. I mean... Bill's been with the team for, I mean, in some capacity since he was a kid. Um, and it sucks that he didn't get to play in this game. You know, the timing of the whole thing with uh, his contract wasn't ideal. Um, 
but you know, life is never really that perfect, right? It's not a movie script. Um, you know, in the, in the movie, I guess his plane would have arrived uh, Sunday morning and he would have hustled to RFK and, and pleaded with Ben Olsen and uh, talked his way into starting the final game and, and, you know, got man of the match and all that, but that's not how things work in reality. Um, he had to be in Denmark for a couple days to si- get the deal signed. Um, that we, you know, I know it hasn't been officially confirmed, but we've seen the photo of him signing the paperwork with his agent. I mean, you don't need official confirmation at that point. Um, but that's just the reality of it. It still means a lot that he decided to come back. He could have been like, well, I'm just going to hang out in Denmark for a few days and get to, um, you know, get a feel for the place, get the lay of the land for my uh, soon-to-be employer. Um, but he made a point of flying back across the Atlantic um, to be there for one more night at RFK. Um, and he made a point of once he, you know, he talked to his teammates, he talked to the guys uh, from the Legends team, from the Red Bulls, anyone else that he knew. But he made a point to spend a good deal of time uh, talking to the the last fans that remained. And, uh, you know, it, it points to someone that's going to end up coming back. Um, and suiting up for DC United again someday. It just, you know, maybe it's a few years from now. Maybe it's maybe it's 10 years from now. I mean, uh, that's about the age that Tim Howard came back. Um, so who knows how long it's going to be? Who knows what's going to happen for him? But uh, I, I get the feeling that United fans are going to be paying very close attention to uh, Micheland in the, the years, or at least next season. Who knows how long he's there? Um, but, yeah, it was uh, – Kind of, kind of, uh, in its own way, kind of the the right way for things to end. Um, that he got his last moment, that fans got their last moment with him. Um, that was a pretty cool sight to see. Yeah, and I think that's the right place to end this episode as well. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been filibuster. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Patreon, Patreon.com/filibuster. Um, if you feel like supporting us financially, we super duper appreciate it and love every, well, we love all our listeners, but we especially love those that, that buy our love. All right. That came out wrong, but you guys know what I meant. Uh, we're on Twitter at filibuster DCU at black and red U for the website. I'm at the underscore AMT. Jason is at chest Rockwell 14 and Ben is at BRU Bromley. I got that one right this time. Didn't I? Finally. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, we're improving. We're growing over time. It's taken five years, but I finally got Ben's ha- Twitter handle right. Send your now, emails. Now I, have to, now I have to change it. Yeah, you've done that several times in the past, so I'm, I'm not, not for like that three years. <laughs> several times. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the podcatcher of your choice. Also, the Internet Archive, because Ben makes sure that that everything we do is archived there because he's an archivist. and That's just true. They're God's people. Uh, mostly, though, when you're, when you're watching the MLS Cup playoffs, which don't have DC United in them, tell a friend about this podcast say hey if you want to hear people talking about dc united this offseason there's a podcast that does that and there we we keep going all off season long you should uh, yell at them to stop watching the playoffs and just listen to us instead <laughs> I, i'll let them watch the playoffs no i mean 
I'm probably going to watch the playoffs. So yeah, but the, you should mute your TV, have the playoffs on, and just listen to us instead of the commentary. Because if it's not Dave Johnson and Devin McTavish, it's probably not good commentary. On that note, <laughs> I'm Adam. They're Jason and Ben. We'll all talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Save the crew. Save the crew. Save the crew. Just a fond farewell to a friend Who couldn't get things right A fond farewell to a friend